Good morning, and everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Manny Talk Shooting, the podcast where I talk to anyone on the industry that I feel like I want to talk to. We talk about competition, self-defense, training, gear, building. I don't know what we're going to talk about today. Today, I am very honored to have Mr. AJ Zito, the man with the longest Instagram handle ever. AJ, how are you tonight, sir? (laughs) I'm good. How are you, man? (laughs) I am great. I'm glad you are here, and I'm excited because... We're going to talk about some 1911s today, hopefully. Awesome. One of my favorite topics, of course. Yep. Yeah, and uh, like I said, I'm glad to have you on. Um, I'll say the first time I ever heard of you was from Scott Jedlinski's podcast, the, the Get Better podcast. If you haven't listened to the, the, I know he hasn't made any episodes lately, guys. Go out, watch the back catalog. AJ might be like episode six or seven, I think. Not off the top of my head, but he's early on the show. And that's how I found out about you. Awesome. Yeah, that that was a fun one. That was a fun time. I think that that was one of my uh, earliest podcasts, I think. <laughs> so mm-hmm. and and you're not wrong. I mean, I and you're one of the if I was going to send a gun out, there's three people in this world I would send a gun to David Cut, uh, Defensive Creations, Joe oh. Chambers and AJ Zito. Thank you. <laughs> and I mean, I from talking to people who've had your work or and seeing your work online, it's just one of those things that the old school builder in you still does. And yeah. there's something about the old school, old school ways. I totally agree. <laughs> Hence why I still do what I do. Mm-hmm. And you're able to make a living doing what you do, which is, but you do a lot too. I mean, I do, I do. Uh, you know, one of the the crazy things about my life is I have lots of things I do, and. Uh, uh, which can make it difficult at times because sometimes you really just want to build guns and sometimes you really just want to shoot guns mm-hmm. and you got to balance, you know, all the things. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so big about trying to balance your life. Like I had to take a, I found the best way to manage my time was being 100% divulged in what I was doing, but I had to lay out a schedule of what I was doing. So at this time, this time is I'm doing this. So I'm 100% focused on my dry fire or making lunch or getting ready for work. Like I had to be like, Nope, something's got to sit down. Luckily enough at work when I go to work is I'm very flexible. As long as I do my job, I'm able to manage content, do the filler stuff at work while I'm able to. But Mm -hmm. if I'm there in my dry fire time, that's what I got to do. Or if I'm going to make a video, it's what I have to do. I can't be like, I'm going to make a video and then dick around with something else. And then I'm like, well, that time's gone. Game's over. Yep. Absolutely. Something else. But AJ, I'm, I need, well, I know who you are. The people might not necessarily know who AJ Zito is. So AJ, who are you and how did, and maybe the how short, how'd you get into shooting? Sure. Uh, So obviously I'm AJ Zito. I run a company called Practical Performance Uh, for my real job, I guess. I am a full-time 1911, 2011 gunsmith slash pistol smith. Uh, I also teach uh, shooting performance-based shooting for both myself and with, uh, uh, certain other companies as well. Um, I am a formal, uh, excuse me, former military guy, former executive protection, private security detail, uh, on the teaching side. And, uh, I have been seriously shooting, I would say since like 2009 and, You know, I really got into it because I got back from uh, a deployment, realized while I was on my deployment that I was nowhere near as proficient as I thought I was, nor should I have been. 
if that makes sense. So I was like, I really need to get this shooting thing down. So I started shooting and I fell in love with shooting uh, pistols uh, purely from a defensive, uh, you know, defensive slash tactical standpoint. Um, that was really my only goal was shooting until I got out of the military. I went into the private sector uh, trying to pick up contracts. And again, it was just, you know, all, all defensive tactically based shooting until, oh man, 2012, 2013, sometime around there when I got into competitive shooting, which changed my entire world. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, it kind of puts everything into perspective and how we, th our egos are bigger than our actual shooting ability at some point. 100%, 100%. And I found that out when I first, my first four hour class, my first four hour class was with Steve Fisher. And okay. it was a handgun accuracy class. And you learn that you are not as good as you think you are. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. Honestly, the, you know, I'd been to a lot of classes before I shot my first competition. Um, and don't get me wrong. Like I, I can remember I shot like an IDPA match or a couple IDPA matches in 2002 or three or four, somewhere in there. And it was like, eh, whatever. Uh, but I think 2012 or 13, I shot my first USPSA match and I thought I was pretty good, right? I, I had, you know, taken a bunch of classes, been top shooter. I was the best shooter at the company I was working for at the time. And I was like, I got this, this ain't no thing. And I was wrong. Mm -hmm. So wrong. <laughs> so it changed my life. hundred percent changed my life. Um, it was an ego kick. And it was absolutely what I needed at the time. So, mm -hmm. absolutely. And I think a lot of people need that kick in the pan, you know, that ego check at the door, you know, just check, get the ego checked early. I know it's helped my progression knowing that then, and instead of feeling pumped up about, oh, I'm the best. Now, there's a difference between my mental game and saying, I know what I can do and being, you know, accepting that, but knowing that. Don't be co not saying that I'm cocky about things, but being real with myself is sure. more essentially what it has to be. You know, because my self-image, if I, I don't know if you're big into the mental management side of things or dabbled into maybe reading that book from Lanny. Yep. But, you know, my self-image says one thing and I align myself with that, but I don't go past what that says. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, you know... Uh, speaking of the mental management thing, because I know you've had Steve on, uh, Steve Anderson, and Steve's obviously all in on the mental management portion of things. Um, I am to a point. Uh, it's kind of like when everyone was all about neuro-linguistic processing, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone was like, it's your other strong hand because <laughs> you will magically shoot better. Well, that's not the case, right? right. Um and I think mental management takes you to a point, right? Your self-image takes you to a point. Uh, but there has to be skill to back that up, just like anything. You know what you're capable of, and you should be very intimately aware of what you're capable of. Mm -hmm. um, and that mental management will take you to a point. It should never hold you back. 
if if that makes sense. It should never hold you back. Right. So. And yeah, long it won't hold you back, but it could definitely if your self-image is bigger, you think you are better than you are, then it will then lead to negative outcomes and not what you want and then you go back down and you don't want to go back down but Absolutely. but you need to know that fine line of where you're at but yep. that's why we have drills and metrics and standards to test those what your your skills are yeah and i love i love metrics like metrics in shooting are <laughs> one of my favorite things it's one of the things that really drew me to uspsa because it had such a large pool of shooters and i was like oh I can now measure myself against like a billion shooters in the world or, you know, 30,000, but still, you know, exactly, exactly. Oh, okay. I want to know where I sit on this scale instead of, Hey, I'm, I'm the best dude of the five dudes I know who shoot. Right. Yeah. Well, you're lucky enough. You're in Arizona. So you have a lot of ranges near you that within a reasonable amount of distance, like, Arizona doesn't isn't Rio Salado in Arizona mm-hmm. yeah and every like that's like a mecca of shooting down there it certainly is it is not uncommon for me to shoot a local regular weekend match and have at least one if not multiple world champions shooting the same match because you'll get a... Nils down there and Robbie Latham and mm-hmm. Elias Frangolis Layton's Eli- down here Yep. A late, yeah, Elias Frangoulis. I tried, I I don't know what it was. I was talking to somebody. I couldn't remember Elias's name. I'm just like, <laughs> it's that guy who didn't get into IDP, IDPA Worlds, even though he was a world champion, because he didn't have enough points. Yep. Yep. Good and job, IDPA. He, <laughs> that world, I think he'd won Worlds the year before. Oh, yeah, he was the classic division Ipsic world champs in 17. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Elias is a great dude. You know, he's one of, one of my favorite dudes in the sport, for sure. Um but yeah, just guys like that, not, not uncommon to shoot against them on the weekends, mm-hmm. which is, can, can be intimidating, uh, for sure. But it's awesome because, you know, it's, it's not the same when you see a dude's match performance at like a major match or, or on video or anything. It's a lot different to have them right there and shoot the exact same thing. You are shooting on the same day, same condition, same everything. It's right. pretty cool. It's pretty with cool. almost similar gear, like because you know Nils runs a production gun, Elias runs a classic, you know, a single stack gun most of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it really tells you where you're at compared to the top of the sport. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of where you live in Arizona, well, in Arizona, it's because uh, you're in Prescott. Is that where, does it snow in Correct. Prescott? It is currently snowing right now, actually. <laughs> okay, so most of the time it's very good weather. Do you have mm-hmm. to worry about? Um, because in up in Michigan we have an off season essentially. Do you, how much of an off season do you get due to weather there, or is it shooting all year round? And if you get snowed on, oh well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a a good question. Uh, so where I'm at, it very much is a we don't necessarily have an off season, uh, but there might be two or three days out of the year where you're not getting to the range because it is snowed in, um, you know, and then it's, we, we have what we call our monsoon season out here, which, uh, you know, the last year we really didn't have it. The first year I moved out here, it was, it was nuts. I mean, it opened up and it poured and everything was a river. 
so those days are actually more of a concern than like snow days. Um, cause they, you do not want to shoot in that stuff. It is terrible. It's like the worst shooting at frost proof, but Ugh. without, yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. So it is, it is, I wouldn't think that'd be fun. I mean, I don't like to go out when it's less than like 40 degrees to shoot, but, <laughs> and that's just because of the dexterity in the hands. I mean, you just, at that point, there's no, you're like, you're not going to get anything out of training through that. Mm-hmm. So it's my, well, I mean, you do, I mean, you understand your limits and being prepared for the cold, but I'm like, I'm not going to break any ground here fighting the cold hands. So I'm like, I'm going to go yeah. home or not even go at all. Even yeah. though if it might've been the range day that was allotted for that time, that plan, I'm like, I will scrap this for another day. Yep. Yeah. The best, the best you can hope for on days like that is to maintain your skill. That's mm-hmm. the best you can hope for. And, you know, at worst, you're going to actually do damage to your to your shooting uh, by practicing in that. And I get it. You know, train as you fight, blah, 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 blah. Um, listen, suck sucks. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. So, uh, you know, there's no real skill progression there. And I really don't need, you know, any I don't need to practice sucking like i i get it yep this sucks okay good (laughs) Mm -hmm. i'm going home yeah exactly right now you're a trainer a full-time gun builder you do you still teach at yavapaya uh i do i teach at yavapaya college uh in their gunsmithing program currently um uh teaching custom pistol building for one semester and then right now we're in our our first year semester so mm-hmm. i'm teaching all the first years about functionality and 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 how you know pistols have evolved from the dawn of time and and whatnot so actually they start 1911s this week so i i get excited now <laughs> yeah and i'm assuming well it's a gun it's a whole gunsmithing school correct so it's not just like that's the uh that's just a part of it that's the whole school correct yeah, yeah, okay. I, I, yeah. It's just uh, so the pistol smithing is just the part of it. Um, okay, it's not like you're, like a college, and then there's the sect that is the gunsmithing school. So it's okay to have guns at this school. <laughs> well, no, it, it's a legit college. Like, right. a, you know, it just regular college. We just happen to have like we're we're shoved off in our own little corner on our on a different campus, and gotcha. uh, we, uh, yeah, it's it's cool to have guns there. Right. Uh, we, you know kind of like when I took a uh, semester of first response, like a first responder class for a semester, it was okay to have certain other things there, like actual knives and things to cut people out of things. But Oh no, if you go on campus and cut your apple with a goddamn pocket knife, you get talked to by security. No joke. This happened to me one semester. I'm like, I had to take for some reason to, to wrap up some credits I needed. I had to take like a first year history class and cutting my damn apple and somebody thought i was gonna hurt him because i'm cutting up an apple you know the I, world brought a little, I had a little cutting board too i'm like i'm cutting a damn <laughs> apple. so the next day the security officer's like you know you can't have that i'm like what that night i'm like i cut an apple i was like what well, it's a weapon i don't care so oh, i man. listened to him put it away and that was uh i got irritated i haven't luckily enough i haven't had to go back to main campus in a while so yeah yeah, I avoid our main campus like the plague, which is really funny, too, because even on our campus, right, it's like the, the main program at my campus is 
the gunsmithing program. Mm -hmm. But because of, you know, not to go down this rabbit hole, but because of certain policies, there are, in fact, no guns allowed signs posted at the gunsmithing school, which you have to kind of wonder if maybe we're taking the policy a little too literally that we must have these signs displayed when it's a gunsmithing school. Yeah, that's a little... That's, <laughs> it was probably in the start your college starter pack. All right. these signs. <laughs> but, I yep. mean, like, I, yeah, it's, it is what it is. But let's get away from that. And yeah. like you said, you're a formal trainer. Um, I know you've mm -hmm. you said you've taken a lot of training. Who has been the biggest um, class takeaway, like trainer takeaways from training you've taken, like instructors or classes? Man. That's hard. <laughs> so there are a couple that um, really are huge, right? I'll tell you right now, uh, probably the, the first class that completely and utterly changed my perspective on shooting was Frank Proctor, uh, old Frank Proctor class in like 2012, I think. Uh, it was like, and I'm not sure how Frank's classes are right now, but that class that I took, there were like eight of us in the class. And then on day two, that dropped to like six because someone had an emergency or something. Oh. Uh, so it was, uh, it was amazing, but it was like taking the class version of Brian Enos's beyond fundamentals book. Like if you turn that book into a class, that's what it was. And it, was amazing it changed my shooting completely um so that was a huge a huge uh uh i guess moment or i took a ton away from that class about really about performance shooting and and efficiency and you know uh, maybe a little different perspective on how how things work right especially you know it's frank his recoil mitigation is out of control, just absolutely out of control. Uh, so I learned a lot about that from him. Um, the other that was huge uh, was uh, Mike Seeklander. Um, and Mike's uh, class, I ended up taking his uh, competition handgun before I was even shooting competition. Um, the big thing about Mike's class that I loved was just how, how he approached teaching. Uh, so I took a lot away from Mike's class about just teaching portion of things. You know, it was cool to see, you know, a dude like Mike, I think he was shooting a limited gun at the time, uh, pull one second draws on, on a head box like the credit card of the USPSA head box at seven yards in one second. Like that was amazing to me. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Um, so that was cool. And then just the way he approached teaching, you know, and then I went out and bought his books and figured all that other stuff out. And, uh, but that was, that was a big one too. Um, and then of course, you know, uh, my buddy, Scott Jedlinski, uh, he was probably the first person I took a class with where my teaching style and the things I teach really meshed with like, yes, this is how I do all these things too. This is amazing. Uh, and we were fast friends, uh, 
at that class anyways. And I mean, you know, we teach together still today. Um, but that, that was another one and purely cause we really just, there are other guys out there teaching the same similar things and the, and similar ways to how I was teaching. Um, so that was, that was a great one too. Um, really those are, those are the big ones. Those are probably the, the three biggest, uh, three biggest life-changing classes, uh, for me. And, you know, I've taken some great classes just from some great teachers, you know, uh, Ken Hackathorn, uh, is an amazing teacher. He really is. I got so much out of not the techniques in his class, right? Nothing against what he's teaching, you know, POI wise, but just to watch Ken teach was a great experience. Um, you know, so that'd be even one I would love to just sit by, like not even take the class, but just sit there and watch the man do his thing. Mm -hmm. And all the knowledge that's wrapped in his brain from so many years. Right. You just, or uh, it's just one of those things you'd love to sit down with him over a cup of coffee and just yep. chat with. I mean, there's, there's so many people like nowadays that fall into that category. You just like, I'd love to run into you in a coffee shop or somewhere, drink a <laughs> cup of coffee and just sit down and bullshit and you'd be there all day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly how it is with Kent. You know, I'm a big shooting history buff. Like I love the evolution of modern shooting. I, I just think it's amazing. Uh, and so you get those stories from Ken because he was there when it happened. Right. Kind of Him stuff. and Bill and, uh, yep. uh, Jerry Barnhart and, um, uh, oh, escaping me now. Oh, Todd Jarrett. There oh yeah. Yep. Yep. And it's great. I just, I love, love hearing those things. Mm -hmm. So blast from the past. Yep. Yep. Well, especially being a gunsmith, you know, uh, watching the evolution of the guns is just amazing to me too. You know, when you, you see the first, uh, the first red dot on a handgun, right. Essentially, uh, mm -hmm. Jerry Barnhart in the nineties. And you're like, Oh my gosh, this all of a sudden became a thing. Right. And now mm -hmm. here we are today with slide mounted red dots, um, being so prominent. Uh, so it's, it's cool. I think it's super cool to see that. It's it especially cool. Especially even for them to see what's like, I was doing that years ago. Hurry up and get up, <laughs> get on my level yeah. people. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, you know, it's funny too. I'll t and I I've said this before, the greatest shooting videos I have ever seen slash purchased, whatever was Jerry Barnhart's burner series. Uh, he filmed it in the nineties, early nineties. Um, and it's like a 10 video series, right? All on VHS, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Now I got the DVDs though. I'm, I'm yeah, super I'll... classy now, mm -hmm. but, uh, it was amazing. Like, at the point when I bought those in my shooting, I wish I had bought them much, 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 much sooner. Because I was like, this is exactly how I do these things. Why did it take me 10 years to discover this when I could have watched this video and been like, oh, look, there it is. That's exactly what it took me 10 years to figure out. Um, so still to this day, I think you can still get them. Uh, the best 
the best shooting video series I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I might have to look that I might have to see if I can get those DVDs then, because that yep. would be that'd be something. It's just like one of those things you liked, even if you only watch it once to have it as a collectible. Yeah. Just as to like, yeah. I have these and no, you know, as long as I have a computer or something to play them or well, and that's what you do is you deep rip it off the DVD, put it on a file on your computer and then you have it forever. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they're fantastic. Yes. And all these guys you were talking about, Pro- Frank Proctor, Mike Seeklander, Jedi, they all competed or they do compete, but they're all still self-defense oriented shooters as well. They're not just one side of the coin. And I think a lot of people, my audience is mostly probably competition, some self-defenders or myself who are in the middle. Yeah. And I think if soon as if, with more instructors like this who blend the middle more, we'll come together better because I've even had on the online internet is toxic. <laughs> I mean, I have gone to online text arguments with even friends, people I consider friends of mine about shooting and because they don't like to hear that I say shooting mm-hmm. is shooting. It's like tactics are a different thing. Yep. And I understand I play a game, but that's not all I do. Mm-hmm. And but and like Proctor, Seaclander, uh, Jed Linsky, they do it both. I mean, Scott, like he said, he probably hasn't competed in a while, but he's the busiest instructor I've heard of in a while. Like how many classes like Beverly's got him working to death. Yep. But yep. eighty <laughs> eighty five classes this year. So Man. yeah, that's it's insane, but I I want more people to blend the middle. I want people to be on both sides and well, I'll get better if they. Absolutely. You know, and that's one of the things too, because I've always kind of, you know, when I was a tactical guy uh, and I first started shooting competition, I was like, oh man, this is really taking my shooting to another level. I don't know why people have been telling me this is going to get me killed for years and years and years. And then you talk to some of the uh, super tactical guys, the, top level guys and it's like yeah we all shoot uspsa it's like Mm -hmm. oh okay then that makes total sense now uh you know these these instructors that walk both sides uh they i think they are the most evolved Mm -hmm. uh, i should say because they can understand tactics are tactics shooting is shooting and there's nothing bad about being at the highest level of performance shooting wise versus, you know, Oh, that's another great one. Mike Pannone gives Mm -hmm. a great explanation of, you know, the difference between performance shooting and, and tactics and, and whatnot. He does a great, a great shtick about it. Um, but it's understanding that (laughs) competition will make you better. It will a hundred percent. You know, and all the top, top tactical guys, which everyone wants to imitate and be like, uh, they're all shooting competition, too. Mm-hmm. And there's very few guys at the top level of those organizations that are going to tell you, you know, shooting sports are bad. It's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, they will say that there is context for what we do in a sport because it's a game. It's I mean, it truly is. And yep. but. The applications of the game, will, you know, they compound interest for everything you do because you get your draw, your reload, your transitions. You can manipulate the gun, and then in a stressed environment, under you know pressure of time, not against really force on force, but mm-hmm. and 
it's more it's honestly i would much rather go to a match than go shoot at a static range and burn paper all day sure i mean nothing wrong with going and burning a ba you know checking your 25 yard you know hat claw from kyle defore doing the <laughs> you know, 25 yard uh, b8 in 10 to 15 seconds like but i mean there's nothing wrong with those metrics of doing those but if that's all they're doing there could be so much more and mm-hmm. match pressure is the closest thing you can get to that kind of pressure besides force on force or actually being in a gunfight. Sure. Sure. You know, and, and it's, don't get me wrong. It's different pressure. It's not the yeah. same pressure, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it has the reaction you are looking for. I promise you. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, it's not going to be the exact same, uh, but it is pressure. And you are pressure testing things. Uh, and it's fantastic. You know, the thing the thing about the, it is really like, you know, you mentioned Kyle's, uh, you know, hat, hat test qual, hat qual, mm-hmm. um, and some of the other things, uh, even a match, right? So I view them going back to the metrics thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, matches are a test. Kyle's qual, right, is mm-hmm. a test. They should not be your practice, Right. right. Those are the things you do every once in a while. And I'm as guilty as anyone else of doing this. You know, oh, I'm going to run I'm going to run this test 10 times and and that's going to be my practice session because it's going to give me, you know, 100 rounds or 300 rounds or whatever. Um, but that doesn't necessarily make you better at shooting because you are focused on an outcome at that point. You're mm-hmm. you are not focused on the process of shooting, um, which is a great, you know, process versus outcome or, or process versus result. Tim Heron does probably the best explanation of that. I love uh, Timmy. Timmy's yeah, wonderful. He's great, man. Uh, he, you know, he's a, a good friend and a great, great teacher, great instructor, uh, really, you know, a great coach. Uh, and I can't, you know, I can't say enough good things about Tim. So, and he's an amazing, amazing competitive shooter. So, yeah, I am lucky enough. This will be in June, my second year of Tim. I'm going to take practical performance again nice. because I find that much worth it. I told him you need to increase your price, though. You're, you're giving me way too much. <laughs> well, when he spends tw- 10 to 12 hours on the range that day, not including setup, mm-hmm. you know, you're on the range for TD1 for 10 to 12 hours and then you do it again the second day. You're getting so much training value and seepage from him that it's just like, dude, charging 400 bucks for your two day class. You need to jack your prices up. Yep. Yep. And I'm glad he did. I have no problem paying the extra fee to have Tim for two whole, well, actually three whole days because he's going to actually shoot a match with us after the class on the third day. So that'll be awesome. And seeing that level of caliber of shooter. Mm-hmm. Even though they might say it's a boomer gun and it's a competition gun, but he'll go grab a carry optics gun or a production gun and hose yep. fest. I mean, when you get to that level, it doesn't really matter what your equipment is. I mean, you know, getting familiar with that equipment, but he could, with maybe 100 rounds, get familiar with that gun and go be performing at the same level as he was with his super competition gun. Sure. Absolutely. You know, uh, I want to circle back to that in mm-hmm. a second, but you know, luckily I'm going to do a shameless plug here uh, real quick. Tim and I are actually, mm-hmm. Tim and I are actually teaching a joint class uh, at the end of April. 
which I'm super excited about. Um, See, I wish I lived closer because I would go to that. Yeah, it's it's going to be great. You know, what we did was I used to have a, a class uh, called How to Practice, right? It was our How to Practice workshop, one-day workshop. And uh, it was literally how to structure and get the most out of your practice sessions, right? Because if you're like me, you can waste a lot of your life practicing completely wrong and not getting any better, uh, you know, and trying to figure out how to get better is you plateau and you don't know how to get out of it. So that's what this class is really about. Like do these things this way, all these things work on these certain skills and tasks and here's why it works. And here's how you can structure your own for whatever your intended purpose is: defensive competition, just performance, whatever you're doing, these things will make it better. So, you know, Tim and I were talking about, um, about that one day. And I just simply said, you know what, dude, we should just do the how to practice class as a joint thing. And, uh, he was all about it. You know, we changed a, a couple of little things, but, uh, so we're going to end up teaching that at the end of this month in, here in Prescott. And then Tim will teach his two day class, uh, after that. So it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. And it's, I'm super looking forward to it. So, and besides having Tim come up, I'm super excited. I want another stab at the barrel drill. It's, not, <laughs> it's something I never practice or yep. even set up in dry fire, but it's like, I want to go for the barrel. That is so hard. <laughs> it's deceivingly difficult. It absolutely mm -hmm. is deceivingly difficult. It's very, uh, but it's simple at the same time. It's weird. Cause it's, yeah. it's, it's not unobtainable because you like anyone can truly obtain it, you know, depending on how they go through it, but I'm not going to give it away, but it, it gets, it, it messes with your brain a little bit. It certainly does. You know, I watched, uh, uh, so the first time he ran it at least when I was in a class was up here, uh, last year. Um, and he had just done it, you know, just opened up this, this barrel drill patch. I had seen the drill before cause he and I had talked about it, but it was the first time like I had seen it in an actual class. Um, and we had multiple masters and, and grandmasters in the class up here, all of which did not, <laughs> did not make it. Uh, so there is, there is a technique to it, to getting that, that drill down or that test down for sure. And uh, so you got your patch in, was it 2019 or 2020? Uh, what was last year? 2020, I think okay. May of 2020, uh, which was patch number two. Right. So. And like you had what wasn't Raul was in that class, wasn't he? Yep. And Layton and yep. John and Neil from mm -hmm. ASP. I mean, that, that was and I was excited because that video series came out before Tim came in June. So uh -huh. it got me even more pumped. <laughs> and I, I like that's that. And I love that Tim sets up his practice stages completely different wherever he's at, depending mm -hmm. on the bay size or whatever. So it's not like Steve, you know, I know Steve and he sets the same Steve yeah. Anderson sets up the same class drill or well, the class stage. And I love that Tim makes a completely different stage every class. Yeah but they all have the same principles of teaching within them. So, mm -hmm. and which is, I'm excited for is because it doesn't matter what, how many times you take a class from somebody, it's always can be different. 
or sure. what you can gain out of it. Like for me, I've taken, this will be the second time taking this class, but I feel one, the first time I've, you ever take a class, I have this jitter, the nervous jitters of, yeah. you know, meeting like an idol slash mentor to you before, you know, that's how I felt with Steve as well. Like big Steve Fisher, tall as can be and a big dude, you know, you meet him in person. He's the nice, one of the nicest guys you can ever meet just like Tim, but Tim's, I'm glad Tim's shorter than I am because I've never met somebody shorter than me. <laughs> I'm only five seven. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> yep. But you know, Timmy's a little shorter than me. It's like okay, I don't, I don't so feel so nervous. But you know, Tim's you know reputation behind him and you know his pedigree of shooting. It's just like mm -hmm. it puts you not on ease, but it's like you want to perform well. But it's also like the weird heart jitters or whatever. But the second time, hopefully I will feel a little more relaxed and I'll perform better. I, I wouldn't say my ego got in the way of that class, but I definitely got, I wasn't performing at 100% match capability at that class because of some uneasiness. And, you know, the, you know, the nervous jitters, I mean, everybody yeah. fights those. But Yep, all the time, all the time, which is why it's so important to put yourself in those stressors. Mm -hmm. often you know i i have a buddy uh he's a uh his name's seth he's a, a grandmaster in carry optics um and he teaches with me uh fairly regularly and uh he stepped away from shooting matches for a while right mm -hmm. a couple weeks three weeks and came back sh started shooting a match together and he mentioned it immediately how nervous he was how much more nervous he was now than he would have been three weeks ago, simply because he had not shot a match in those three weeks and the stress, you know, it's a social stress, but how much that stress affected him just from taking, you know, a few week break of inoculation. So mm -hmm. yeah. It's, and it's very interesting. And you and Seth have a podcast that you haven't uploaded in a while, but I have listened to the whole back catalog. And that oh, was the, good. <laughs> the Practicast with, um, I can hear it now in my voice, you know, Seth talking in my back of my brain. But guys, <laughs> go check out the Practicast. I know that Jade, um, AJ will maybe put something up. I don't know. Yeah. Actually, the, the one, the show I've been trying to get up, but I've been having some, some technical issues, is actually an interview with Tim <laughs> from last year. Um, so... Yeah, uh, yep. I was trying to get it out before the first of the year, and for some reason, uh, my computer doesn't like me, and I can't figure out why. So we're working on it. I promise right. we're working on it. Because Jay Beal mm -hmm. even reached out. He's like, "Are we? Are you gonna do this?" And I was like, "I promise, it's coming. I just don't know why it doesn't work." <laughs> yeah, and and honestly, Jay's been one of my biggest pushers to strive for better, getting you know. Jay and I are the same age, but Jay is like, okay. you know, we're, we're fairly young. So, but he's so up at the top of the game already. And it's just like, he, it, he just motivates me to get better besides my mm -hmm. own drive and passion. Like I've got the rage to master. I call it, you know, sure. And I'm like, I want to get better and I want to be the best I can be, but it, he's just another push to get better. And he's such a great person. He is. He is. I really like Jay. Uh, I, very limited interactions with him, uh, but they've always been positive, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so. Yep, that goat farmer from Maine who will, uh, why he's kicking your butt. 
Go listen to that That's episode right. of the, the of Jedi's podcast. Yep. That was a good episode, too. God. This guy is talking to a bunch of good people. And I get to talk to you guys now, which is awesome. <laughs> but, um, I need, well, I know because you're a custom 2011 builder. Mm hmm. You, what are you carrying nowadays? I, is it the 2011? Is it a 1911? Is it a double stack sure. 1911? Whatever. <laughs> and I don't know the differences between double stack 1911 and a 2011, but everyone calls them a 2011. And, yeah, so let me let me address that first, right? Mm -hmm. So here's the deal. Uh, for the since the '80s, right? Not really the '80s, but since STI built a gun that had 2011 on the side of it, people have pretty much referred to double stack 1911s as 2011s, especially if they utilized a, an STI style magazine right or an sti uh print magazine uh then a couple years ago sti went and trademarked 2011 so after that they sent out some some less than nice letters uh that may have included cease and desist uh that says stop calling your stuff 2011s because they're not STIs. Okay, got it. So that's when people just finally started saying, uh, at least in common language, uh, double stack 1911s. Mm -hmm. um, I still call them 2011s pretty regularly because <laughs> then people know what you're talking about. Right. Because right? there are multiple styles of uh, double stack 1911s, but the most prominent is the STI style. Um, so, uh, what am I carrying currently? Actually, currently I'm carrying a single stack, uh, 1911. Uh, surprisingly it's a stainless gun, which I despise stainless guns, but this one I love. <laughs> so, I'm assuming you built it. I did. I did. Actually, I built it along as a uh, as a demo gun for my college students. Um, so in their second semester, they build a 1911 from scratch. And as part of that program, I build the gun along with them. So I will say, OK, today we're going to learn how to fit a slide to frame. I did the slide to frame fit on this gun yesterday. It took me this many hours. If it takes me this many hours, it should take you rough of, you know, roughly this many hours. Now, uh, for example, is that like, say it takes you, I don't know, maybe four hours to fit a barrel or I mean a slide to frame. Right. Would you say it take them six to eight then? Yep. That's okay. pretty much exactly how I do it okay. for your first one. You know, the first time you do anything gun building wise, you are far more cautious than you probably need to be. Um, it's one of those things, you know. 90% of what you're doing can be hogging material, but that last 10% is critical. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't know that when you first start off. So you do the entire 100% super careful because you're like, I don't want to overshoot this. Uh, and that's what takes so long. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And so you built this night. Is, um, is it in 45 or is it a nine mil? Nope. It's a nine mil, a uh, nine mil single stack. It's built off of. Uh, a Nighthawk frame, actually. I used to have a, a I still have a really good relationship with Nighthawk. Um, but that one's built off a Nighthawk frame. Uh, it's got a red dot on it. 
Um, yeah, has that got so the chambers plate on it then, or is that? It, it does not. This is actually uh, it predates the chambers plate by mm-hmm. by a fair bit. Um, it has the Trigicon plate on it, okay. uh, and currently it's sporting an RMR. So, okay. um, are you are you of the one MOA train like Scott is? Okay, so Scott's on the one MOA train because of this guy. But okay. Just make, okay. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so here, here's the deal, right? Um, I was very much all about that one MOA life, mm-hmm. very much about it, until probably I don't know a year ago. Um, I really started experimenting with different dot sizes, right? So the one MOA really really called to me because i was like all the precisions bro Mm -hmm. all of it right and i could do amazing things uh with the one moa dot you know uh a hundreds on 25 yard b8s was not uncommon right Mm -hmm. because the gun was more than capable and now that i've got an ultra refined aiming point and and everything like that i'm like 100 all day long bro let's see if we can do that weekend only uh, like 10x's <laughs> yeah exactly exactly uh but i you know i had experience with a three and a quarter minute dot i shot a lot of two minute dots because hollow suns and delta points um but i didn't have a lot of experience with like six and a half minute dots mm-hmm. so i thought you know what i'm gonna throw a six and a half minute dot on my gun and just play around and I hated it immediately um it was just way too big for for what I wanted to do, especially for refined shooting. Um, that being said, when I went and put my one minute dot back on the gun, uh, I I realized that it was much more difficult to track, which I expected, right? Track in recoil, mm-hmm. um, and I thought, you know, I'm gonna put my three minute or three and a quarter minute dot uh, back on my gun, kind of the halfway in between spot and really see if I can maximize like the speed of my six and a half minute dot, especially on transitions uh, with the precision of my one minute dot. And that's kind of where I fell. I really, now I really enjoy the two minutes and the three and a quarter minute dots. Um, They are my my preferred go-to for sure. I would say so as well, at least on my RMRs. I've played with a 6.5 and the ones. I cannot pick up a one MOA from to save my life, really, because mm-hmm. it's so tiny. My astigmatism it messes with them a little bit, but so much in recoil, like just like trying to find it, especially like on a washed out background. You're mm-hmm. like, okay, like on a red, like a sandy red berm. You're sure. Like, where are you? You know, that's maybe where green would come into play, but I mean, only Hollow Sun makes green dots and. For yeah. the most part, unless you want an auto adjusting RMR with the uh, with don't. the tritium, no, you don't. <laughs> you, you don't. Just, you don't. <laughs> but they make. I, do they still make them? I don't know. I don't but, know. <laughs> but because then they have purple too, which is really weird. But um, I did not. So the <laughs> um they uh, I just couldn't track the ones very well. So I stuck sure. with the three point two five on Scott's recommendation when I got into RDS pistols. Mm-hmm. Now I have a competition gun. Uh, my slide's finally coming back from the milled from getting milled. I put a five MOA SRO on it. Okay, sure. And because when I compared the SRO to my RMR, the five wasn't that much bigger, but 
I, I know I didn't want a one and I didn't know how I felt about a two five, but I tried the five and I went with a five and I shot a five. It's not much different. So sure. the nice thing is it can be dimmer than an RMR because of how much bigger the dot is for me. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, yeah. dot preference is dot preference. I know people who love the one. My eyes personally can't pick it up. Sure. Sure. Exactly. Uh, you know, and that's the thing. I There are certain applications I really don't think uh, bigger dots are better. There are certain mm-hmm. applications where bigger dots are much better. Yeah. Um, Precision-wise, the big dots fail. They mm-hmm. just do. But then again, what's precision for you? Are you trying to hit an A zone at 25 yards? Or are you trying to hit the X ring at 25 yards? Right. You know, there's a huge difference there. Right. Are you um, trying to hit someone's, you know, the head box at um, on a hostage target? Or, you know, in life or death situations, you know, there's dot mm-hmm. size matters. But it's also putting the time behind the dot and knowing your capabilities and what you need to do with that done. You just yep. can't. Or, and a whole bunch of different grip pressures, trigger presses, sights, and. Mm-hmm. So many things about, you know, what you're, you know, that your dot size is part of the equation too. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And I will say this, right. All those other things are probably more important than the size dot you're shooting. Mm-hmm. But when you get the other stuff squared away, that's when your dot size is really going to come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's just one of the things right and i know there's competition shooters many open guns that are like eight to 12 moa dots sure. and they're ringing 25 30 yard steel and whatever you know mm-hmm. whatever they're i don't know what christian's use what no he's using a max dot so that's a smaller dot but the rts2s that were huge dots you know i sure. mean people using whatever they got and it's not right. uncommon but it's not a big dot it's not the best application for a long shot self-defense shooting i would assume it all depends I, on the shooter uh yeah yeah, I would say it depends on the shooter. But once you get over six and a half minutes, I think you're in you're not in great territory. Right, yeah. I think it take I haven't it's been a while since I've looked through a six and a half dot RMR. I, you know, it probably takes up a lot of the window. Uh I think it does. Um mm-hmm. really it just it occludes a lot of things. Yeah. Uh so that that was my biggest dislike of it. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah. Now, we know you like dots on guns. Um, mm-hmm. You build 2011s, uh, 1911s. Um, you're a single stack master. I am. If I'm not, are you still sticking with single stack? You've been dabbling with limited, um, maybe even open, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's funny uh, because all of my... Uh, I have shot open, a fair mm-hmm. bit of open, all with my carry gun. Um, <laughs> Before they change the rules, for mind Before, everybody. Yep. yep. Yeah, exactly. So at the time uh, when I shot open, so if, if anyone's like hooked up to the USPSA system, they're like, I'm going to look this guy's classifiers up. Uh, you can look at my open classifiers. They are all uh, <laughs> shot from concealment AIWB because that was the division I could shoot a single stack from AIWB in mm-hmm. um, uh, with a dot. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So with a dot on it. Uh, so yeah, pretty much all my open scores are with either a single stack gun or, or a 2011, but they're all with my carry guns uh, mm-hmm. from AIWB. So 
that's my open experience, right? <laughs> Other than building like an open gun and test firing it and stuff like that. But uh, I shot limited early on, um, early on in sh- in my shooting career, I guess, uh, competition career, purely because I, you know, where's the most heat? Okay, it's it's limited division or open division. Well, I couldn't afford an open gun and I wasn't a gunsmith at the time. So I was like, all right, I have, this you know sti in 40 i can get away with that at least it was in major power factor at least that's right that's (laughs) right you know which is funny because uh the only reason i even had 40 guns was carryover from my very very early tactical days Mm -hmm. um and at one point a place i was teaching for uh only provided 40 caliber ammunition for instructors so i was like well i got 40s so, <laughs> um, yeah, but that's really the only reason I even had that gun. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. So I got a, you know, a big old Dawson Magwell on it and, and stuff like that. And I shot that for a while in limited. Um, and, uh, I quickly left that. I shot some production for a while back when I shot M and P's pretty exclusively. Um, now I, I mean, I shot. I think all the matches I shot last year were single stack. I just love single stack division, um, honestly. And I don't foresee myself leaving single stack division unless I'm going to be shooting like carry gear. Mm -hmm. Um, Because with all the rule changes, I still can't shoot my carry gun in any other division but open. But (laughs) Now, now that you mentioned that, I want to ask. Mm-hmm. Would you change carry optics to allow single action only guns? 100% I would. 100% I would. I don't see any... Listen, here's the reality, right? Uh, An M&P is a single action gun. Despite Mm -hmm. what... Yes, it utilizes a striker, but the sear system is still a single action sear system. Because it's pre-cocked, isn't it? Correct. Correct. And it just... Just like on, you know, a 1911, the sear moves out of the way to... You know, instead of releasing a hammer, it releases a striker, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so if anything, it's a disadvantage to have a legit single action like 1911 or 2011 uh, gun. But USPSA says no. Um, for now. For now. Because uh, I agree yeah. with you. I agree yeah. with you. They should be allowed. I, bo- I don't believe on compensators yet in carry optics. It would make sure. it a little too close to open. And I was okay with single action only guns. I don't care what people shoot necessarily. I'll shoot what I want to shoot or what I have. If you want to go buy and spend five grand on guns, go right ahead. I mean, you do you, I do me, but I want to get most people into the sport, but I still believe in having rules for competitive equity. I even had a conversation with your co-host Seth. Um, I made a meme post, you know, Uh it was like, what do we want? Minor open minor. And (laughs) we got into a discussion. I'm like competitive equity, you know, it's all got to be fair. You know, we got to be able to let production guys do what they got to do and open guys do what they got to do. But if, as soon as we, the, the equal playing field is gone for everybody, what do we have? You know, it's not. Yeah. It. Well, and that's honestly, uh, my, not that I'm complaining, but my <laughs> largest complaint with USPSA right now is, uh, production division, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, Production division is not production division anymore. It's, it's almost limited, limited minor. Limited minor, exactly. Yeah. You know, oh, you can't have a magwell, cool. But I can have literally everything else. 
so what what's the benefit? You know, I can no longer go buy a Glock 17 or 34 and be super competitive uh, day one first match uh, in in production division, which I thought was the greatest pull because anyone could shoot, you know, an off off the the rack gun in production and be competitive. You'd still have to buy more mag. If you bought a Glock, you'd still have to buy two more mags, though. Sure. Unfortunately, <laughs> because sure. you need a million mags. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, but still, right. Uh, and I don't like. I honestly, I'd probably agree with you. We, if we hosed production as it is now, you know, just scrap the division or something like that. You know, I mean, yes, there's the appeal for the low cap ten rounds, which is fine. Mm-hmm. And but. It's not it's not the purest thing that it used to be of production. Now you know it's so much close so much like limited in my for limited minor. It mm-hmm. kinda just needs to be revamped or absorbed into another division. And let because honestly, most people start in limited minor because they only have three mags and yep. they get to fill them up. I mean yeah. and that's how most people shoot their first match. Sure. Sure. And that's okay. I mean, that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like I agree. I don't. The organization could have done better with these rule changes, though, and tested these first, or you know, give us a like three months of test. Well, three months of testing or whatever to allow see if these changes sure. are going to stick or not before. Oh, well, we're just going to make a live rule change. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I understand from a management standpoint why it's a why the rules are beneficial, right? Because mm-hmm. yep. now I don't have to weigh your production gun because there ain't a production gun out there that weighs over 54 ounces or 59 ounces or whatever it is now. Yet. Um, yet. I don't yet. Wa- I wouldn't want a 59 ounce gun. Like open guns are like 40 to 45. Like they're not that, they're not that heavy. Nope. Nope. And uh, honestly, you got to kind of work to make a gun <laughs> 50 some ounces. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's work. So All the brass and tungsten. That's right. That's right. So when is someone going to ask you to build a tungsten framed double stack 1911? I don't know, but no, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> not, not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, tungsten has its place. Uh, <sighs> You know, you get into dissimilar metals and all sorts of other stuff, and it sounds like a really good idea, but in the end, it'll be really bad for your gun. So, could, could even tungsten be um, hardened and annealed enough to actually be a frame? Uh, yeah, I don't see why not. Absolutely. Um, you know, the biggest thing is depending on what your slide's made out of, you're just going to eat your slide to frame fit away immediately, essentially. Yeah. Um, right. So you would have to do some serious hardening on that slide in order to get it to work. Yeah. Or um, I guess you're, unless you really want to go tungsten on tungsten. I mean, God, that Man. Thing would be a br- Man. <laughs> like, fuck that thing. Yeah, that would. No, you know, no. I mean, people pick the wrong carry gun. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to carry today. It's inconvenient. That thing would be like, <laughs> why did I make this? Thing? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, it's like, you know. It's like anything, and I tell my students this a lot, too, uh, my gunsmithing students, you know. Uh, some of them are building some very interesting things. Nothing I would ever build. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? Someone out there will pay you for this. Mm-hmm. Someone out there wants this. And that's the way it is. I mean, you know, not to mention the company's name, but uh, there's a gun company out there that built a gun out of a meteorite. And mm-hmm. people paid a lot of money for it. That's when they have more money than brains. But yeah. That's, yeah. that's People can spend their money on what they want. And that's, that's, right. that's okay with me. Long yep. if they I give see. you money for a gun, all right. I'm like, I'll tell you what I'll help I'll build, but I mean you yeah. can kind of check some boxes, but I still tell you, oh hell no. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. Unless you write me that blank check. Now you could write a black che- blank check to AJ and it might be done. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Right. <laughs> but um, so yeah, I'm kind of really excited to see how that Tim Heron class goes with for you guys, the joint class. It sounds really cool. Like I said, I would go take it if I was in the uh, Prescott, Arizona area. Mm-hmm. But it's a long drive or a fly down there. It is. It definitely is. <laughs> and especially with how ammo is and whatnot, it's like, it's crazy. I'm hoping ammo comes back a little bit more available this year so that people can shoot and train just a little bit. Like, it doesn't have to be 2019 or 20, you know, 2019 prices, but, you know, obtainable. If I could find a couple thousand primers, not even, yeah. not even 10,000 primers, just a couple thousand, be like, yeah. I got powder and bullet. I got powder cases and bullets. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Well, and that's the thing, right? I was talking to Tim the other day. Uh, I've essentially got enough components to get me through this season. And if primers don't come back before this season's over, my uh, competitive career will probably uh, not exist next season. Mm -hmm. So, uh, which is unfortunate that that we've gotten to that, but. You know, I normally keep two seasons on hand and I've already burned one full season and this will be the second. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, there might not be the best primers coming in, but if you can at least get some primers, I mean, you might have to respring the guns a little bit. But if they ignite primers, they ignite primers. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, here's one of my favorite questions. And what got you into teaching and why do you keep teaching? Oh, That's a great question. Um, I'll tell you right now, why do I keep teaching? I love teaching. I love it. I love watching people learn and I I, I love watching people discover things on their own. I just think it's the most amazing thing ever. Where they have that aha moment, like everything ignites and you're like, I could have been doing this all along. Yep. Yep. And it's even better. You know, you, you get a student that they're struggling, right? They are struggling and they don't know why. And then that happens. And it's like the greatest thing ever. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, guided self-discovery where you just lead them down the path and they discover it there for themselves, or you simply tell them like, try this right now. And they do it and they just, (gasps) amazing. It's, it's wonderful to me, you know? Um, and that's with all things. I just love, I love teaching all around. It, it doesn't really, you know, I love teaching shooting more than anything, but I just love, love teaching. Um, how I got into teaching uh, is kind of interesting. So when I was in college, um, I was uh, part of this, uh, uh, what was called Mountain Cold Weather Company. 
Um, it was based around modern, uh, mountain warfare and uh, mountain technical rescue and stuff like that. But one of the requirements uh, to be a senior member in that company was you had to teach. You had to do classes, right? Mm-hmm. It's military-based. You have to teach. Uh, and I found that while I was doing that, I kind of had a gift for it. Um, and, and I really enjoyed it. You know, teaching all sorts of teaching technical rescue, teaching, uh, you know, ropes, knots, uh, uh, you know, skiing, stuff like that, all sorts of stuff. Um, But I super, super enjoyed it. And then, uh, you know, being in the military, uh, you have to be able to teach or you should be able to teach, um, especially if you're in a leadership position. So I, I did some of that. And actually the last job um before i left the military we were talking about where i was going to go next uh for my for my if i had stayed uh where i was going to go and obviously you know i wanted i wanted to go to the schoolhouse i wanted to go teach uh and my battalion commander was very much about it and he's like okay this is what i'd like to see you do i'm gonna want to send you here and be an instructor i was like great and then i ended up getting out of the army anyways uh for other reasons that i just it was time for me to go (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh and then uh right after i got out i got into like immediately into executive protection and i went to a an executive protection course and before i got out of the course they offered me a uh a chance to teach for them they said, what would you think of being, uh, you know, one of our full-time firearms instructors? Or they, they had a like an apprenticeship program or something. And I was like, yeah, love to. Let's, uh, let's do it. And that's when I started teaching firearms. Uh, was at that place. And I taught there for several years. Uh, to the point where I was the lead firearms instructor for uh, their private security detail program. Um, And I had opened up my own shop teaching at the time. Uh, I was teaching mostly just open enrollment, but it was pretty much all military and law enforcement guys in the open enrollment classes. And it was very, very, very different uh, than the things I teach today, you know, um, kind of the evolution of learning on my own learning, uh, really shaped that. So now I teach primarily performance-based shooting, um, Mm -hmm. which uh, I love so, so much more, so much Mm -hmm. more. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where it started and kind of where it's taken to me again, you know, that would be kind of a recurring thing for me would be taking a class and then end up teaching that class later on. Uh, Mm -hmm. Same thing happened. That's how I ended up teaching at the gunsmithing program. Uh, I was in my last semester uh, and the department head approached me and said, how'd you like to teach for this program? And I said, you betcha. So I guess I'm staying in Prescott. (laughs) So uh, yeah. So that's, that's, how it happened now, you know, I'm, I love sharing information with everybody and I kind of have the, you know, I love to give back. So how would you recommend someone 
like wanting to start to teach maybe even just like a couple people here and there you know dabble in teaching not necessarily go on to full-time you know even part-time instruction locally but someone trying to help people as best they can in a training situation sure uh so the first thing you have to do is is i would say teach your friends mm-hmm. get a couple of your friends teach your friends what you know um the thing about it is for me being a teacher you have got to expand your knowledge base as much as you you possibly can you need to see it all try it all uh you know and form actual like opinions based in testing right Mm -hmm. you need to try these things you know there why why do i not teach certain things because i've done them i've tried them i've shot you know why do i i tell guys you know no tactical turtle here's why it's not based in theory i promise you i (laughs) shot like that for years i thought i was gonna have to give up shooting because of my elbows because i could not make it through more than about a hundred rounds uh without my elbows hurting real bad now today i shoot a 1911 and 45 at a 175 power factor uh i can shoot a thousand rounds in one practice session and not have any elbow pain mm-hmm. right purely based on the things i learned about about shooting about my stance about my grip about you know everything to do with shooting um so you need to experiment with all these things you need to learn you need to be a student of of your craft um and then you need to start teaching your friends right Mm -hmm. Uh, here's here's the funny thing about falling into teaching right if you expand your knowledge base if you gain a ton of experience you your friends and individuals will just start coming to you asking you about these things Mm -hmm. and without without realizing it you will be teaching um at least that's been my observation uh and that i mean teachers can't help but teach and it doesn't matter what they do uh you know they're going to end up teaching so that's a good way of putting it falling into teaching Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's awesome. And I, like I said, I've kind of wanted, I've helped a few people out here and there, but it's like, try to build, building your craft as best you can to make it, everyone get a little bit better and having the factual whys, not just because Scott Jedlinski said so, it's, well, I yep. tried that and I agree with him because of X, Y, and Z, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people will name drop without you know and say they do this because of this well why do you say that well because he said so well that's not a valid answer anymore right you need like i mean i might i I, in a video or if not i'll credit whoever i learned that from and why because and that's a big thing too as i find important is if i'm going to say you know if i'm going to i know ernest langdon says it scott says it you know the best teachers are the best thieves Mm -hmm. but they at least give the credit where the credit is due and you know, they, and they have the metrics of why it works as well. And it's. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny because uh, you mentioned Raul earlier. Raul was over here the other day and we were having a similar conversation about how far back do we track the lineage of the technique or the uh, the drill we're doing. 
you know, because I used to spend hours upon hours trying to find out where, you know, who's the first one that put this drill out there in the open or this technique out there in the open and get it, get it from the original source kind of thing, you know? Um, But I, I would encourage guys that are considering teaching or want to be teachers. That's a great place to start. Build that knowledge base. Take, take what you want or take what you think is good, throw the other stuff away, but know why you're taking it and why it works because you have the experience base of doing it and know why the other stuff maybe doesn't work uh, for you or for a certain individual. Cause here's the thing, the things I used to say this a lot when the term training scars was very big. Oh, you're going to, you're going to give yourself training scars, you know, um, uh, one dude's training scar is another dude's performance gain. Uh, and that's really, you know, the tactical community, nothing against the tactical community. Uh, but as, as a, you know, they would throw everything out. If you didn't do it my way, that's a training scar. You're going to get yourself killed. That's a training scar. And it's like, no, it's really not a training scar. It's an evolution past what you're teaching, but you don't understand it or you can't do it. Therefore it's a training scar to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, uh, I, nowadays I really despise that, that training scar idea. Uh, mm-hmm. cause really, you know, what I think is, is the biggest training scar in the world might be the biggest performance gain for you that you've ever had. Mm-hmm. So I think my biggest training scar was, um, the pinning and resetting and that is but <laughs> and it's funny because i reached out you did a video with neil and, yes uh, and i reached out to you about it because i'm like and it's worked so far i mean yeah. the drive the limited dry fire i've been able to do since then is mm-hmm. you know here or there but at least in dry fire it's been effective so we're gonna have to, as soon as the we- as soon as some things come back i'm waiting on my slide to come back before i go and have a range session because Instead of making two trips, we'll make one trip here, you know, make the best out of the, you know, go zero gun, do some training and what and chrono. But I mean, it's really that was my biggest training scar. And it's I wish people didn't teach it in the beginning because that's it. It's like one of those things people say, oh, we pin and reset to teach people what a reset is. And it's like if we didn't teach that, we wouldn't have these issues later down on the road. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, and here here comes, you know part of that learn everything you can learn mm-hmm. why we actually why people teach people to pin and reset right mm-hmm. um for you know if you're a uh a, a history of like ron avery right mm-hmm. ron avery and mike seeklander in fact uh both were big proponents of prep and press they use different names for it as far as a trigger pull, but you would prep to the wall and then press through the shot, right? Understanding reset there has some applicability. However, however, the drill we utilize for that, the pin and reset drill or pin and flip as some guys called it or a uh, bunch of different names for it, uh, I think you're right. It does far more of a disservice to a new shooter or any shooter uh, 
then there is anything to be gained from it. Even with prep and press, uh, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't help. You know, and I, I think Tim explained it really well when I was in class with him about not, do, you know, not doing the, the pin and reset, you know, get that finger, you know, just get it out of there. You don't need it. it you know, you're, you're waiting, you're letting, you're telling the, you're letting the gun tell you when you can shoot. And that's, you do not want the gun telling you when you shoot. You need to tell the gun it's time to go. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and honestly, funny. go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, one of the biggest, <laughs> every now and again, you hear a shooter talk about, well, I can outrun my gun. And it's like, <laughs> well, not really. Uh, you're not outrunning that gun at all. What you're doing is you've set limitations into your shooting that makes you now wait on the gun because of things you're doing. You're not really outrunning the gun. You are forcing the gun to be delayed, like pinning and resetting the trigger. And that's mm-hmm. why you're outrunning your gun. You're really not. Right, because I think what an even a, like an open gun cycles at .08, you know, or something like that. Like, it's very hard to see someone have splits that fast to outrun a gun. Like, maybe your perception, you're waiting on the gun, but there's no way you're outrunning a gun. Like, Yeah, it's not happening. It's not. Um, I mean, fun, you know, you, you're, you're not, you can't even perceive it that fast. I mean. Exactly. I mean, and it's, it's you know, even for guys, uh, you know, now like you and, and like me, that we reset under recoil as mm-hmm. guys have liked to set it right, which is basically mm-hmm. just let the gun reset. Watch it in slow mo. Press that trigger as fast as you can, and watch when you actually come off that trigger or get past that reset point. The gun has already cycled. Mm-hmm. The slide is already back far before you ever even get your finger close to coming off of that. Mm-hmm. And that's with you knowing it's going to happen, right? So yeah. you you don't need to build in this any delay to that uh you are waiting on the gun don't lie to yourself you're waiting you're you're or i'm sorry the gun is waiting on you don't lie to yourself about that right and far before you are it's funny because like you were you know james ager just put out a video about jedi's instructor class and Mm -hmm. i remember the part where jedi's like when you guys were zeroing all i heard was this pinning and clicking shit but when you're going fast you don't hear it because you're not doing it Yep. And I was really bad about that in zeroing process, thinking, oh, you know, you know, got to zero this red dot perfectly. But, mm-hmm. you know, just let it go out. You know, you're, the bullet's already gone. It doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> about, it's like the bullet's already gone. You don't need to worry about fucking up the the impact of the bullet. Right. Right. And even, you know, still, guys, especially precision rifle shooters mm-hmm. will talk about that. Um, you know, that's the first time I had ever heard about pinning the trigger and doing it because you're going to, you're going to disturb the sights before the, the round leaves the barrel. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And then you put some like actual critical thinking to that. And you're like, no, you're not. But the first time I had had heard that was, you know, in a, in a precision rifle course. And when you apply some critical thinking to that, it's like, no, that's not. If, if you are moving that gun, it's happening before, the round is actually fired and it's continuing through that firing cycle it's not happening and this is the biggest thing you know with the the whole anticipation thing um or or what i prefer is pre-ignition push Mm -hmm. um it it is happening before the shot is fired it's not happening after you 
the sear releases and before the bullet leaves the chamber. It, that doesn't happen. You, we're not fast enough for that. Um, so, yeah. But even like precision rifles, they like weigh 22, 25 pounds. Literally, fun fact, my neighbor next door to me to the south is a PRS shooter. Mm-hmm. And he's like, my gun's like, he, his gun is like the 25 pounds. I'm like, there's no way my finger, my little finger can push the, the muzzle of the gun in any direction to mess up, mess up trajectory of that bullet at even, a, you know, a hundred yards, 500 yards, a thousand yards. And yep. it's like, there's no way when the, like, I mean, for pistols, you know, the gun weighs only a couple pounds and the trigger is five pounds of force to be pushed back. Sure. Yeah. That's a lot more of you, your finger mm-hmm. affecting accuracy. But when a gun weighs that much weight, there's no way that the, your finger can out maneuver the gun when it weighs that much. Right. Right. You know, and it's don't get me wrong, because uh, I I don't side with with everyone where trigger press isn't important. Trigger press mm-hmm. is important when mm-hmm. you need it to be important. Your support hand is far more important. Your yeah. grip with the support hand is way more important than how you press the trigger. But if you can press a good trigger, and your support hand's doing what it needs, and you're seeing the sights the way they're supposed to be seen. Dude, there's nothing you can't do. Exactly. Right? And you, you, yeah, that was going to be my next question. You know, a couple weeks ago now, I saw, you know, a big Instagram famous shooter who owns a, a holster company talk about how, you know, trigger press was absolute 100% the end all be all. Mm-hmm. And then you saw a lot of people are like, well, sure, you make an okay point, but what about your other hand? Like that thing, like I get the quote from Steve and Tim, I can slap that trigger like it owes me money. But if with my solid support hand grip at whatever distance we've determined, as long as, you know, I can slap it like it owes me money and still get acceptable shots on target. 100%. Now, now if it's at 25, I need to have better trigger control than at seven or three. Just like, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's context to everything, but, you know, I don't need to have this super precise trigger pull at three yards. I can right. slap it like if my grip is accurate, you know, is efficient and my sights are on target. I, well, honestly, with a red dot, you still don't even need sights at three yards. I mean, yep. you kind of just not. Point you don't need it with iron sights either. But right. That's, but, that's you know, secret. <laughs> right. Well, and that's what a lot of people do. They'll index the gun like, I mean, you have high level of skill at three to five yards. You know, as long as your gun is aimed somewhere at that target, like a line generally, you pull the trigger with your good grip, you're going to get two A's or an Alpha Charlie and be good. Sure. Sure. And it's not like you need to align the front sight, put it in the notch, align it with the target. No, it's just like, all right, we're there. Boom, boom. Moving yep. on. Yep. Absolutely. Now, oh, do you have any matches you're looking forward to this year? Yeah. So a um, couple of matches I'm definitely looking forward to. Uh, single stack nationals of course i'm looking forward to you know last year i uh i finished 30th overall last year um which for my first nationals i was super happy with uh this year (laughs) yeah i i was i I was super happy um because you always hear you know listen you're gonna suck at your first nationals and i was like Go in there. Don't suck. Just shoot your game. Don't get wrapped up in it. And I did. And, uh, you know, I had some, there was definitely room for improvement there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had, I had an okay match for sure. 
I was happy. I was happy when I walked out, like, all right, I did good on certain things. There were certain things I definitely need to clean up, but I'm happy. And I ended up finishing 30th this year. Um, you know, uh, this might might be stretching a little bit, but I would love to finish top twenty or top sixteen. Oh, I could uh, say you could do top sixteen for sure. I well, thank you. I I I uh, I hope so. Just just um, make sure you rub the Tim juice, you know, because Tim's gonna win. <laughs> Tim's gonna just like that's right. Tim, I'm waiting for I, I one of these days. I have no doubt Tim is going to win single stack nationals. I think I, with I, how I, area one and area two went this in twenty twenty for him, so late in the season, they're gonna push him. To mm-hmm. national, long as he can get his training time in for himself, besides teaching, I have no doubt in my mind Tim can be a national single stat champion this year. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Now the one thing Tim does have coming up though too is World Shoot, which yeah, the there, yeah. yep, end of the year, and if it happens, uh, you know that'll be with a minor gun, so mm-hmm. that'll be interesting um, to make that switch because it is a little different shooting a minor gun. Yep, you got yep because you got ten rounds instead of well, yep, you have ten rounds instead of not eight or nine really. But so he's gonna sw- he's gonna shoot a single stack. Cl- he's gonna shoot a nine millimeter for worlds. Yep, yep. Okay, yeah, because Ipsic. That's that's the name of the game. And it's gonna be yeah. so hard to get ammunition over there if he's got you know like. Mm, no, yeah. thank you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. Like I would love. Like I said, I really want to finish top 16, top 20 this year at nationals. Uh, I would love to someday win, you know, some serious single stack (laughs) matches. Mm -hmm. Um, I have no desire to go overseas and shoot Mm -hmm. uh, competitively. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, yeah, I just, uh, it it doesn't appeal to me. I, you know, the only time I... The only time I've flown overseas with guns was uh, when I was working for the government, and that was a pain. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't even imagine as a civilian how terrible that must be, um, despite what certain guys say. Oh, it's so easy. It's so easy. Nah, I'm not interested in it. It seems like the, the effort and the time and the hassle is not worth its squeeze, at sure. least as a single civilian, to customs and making sure you follow all the laws while you're there. And it's just like... Yeah. Even going on vacation across, you know, overseas is a pain in the butt. Sure. You know, like taking taking guns makes it a hundred times more of a pain in the butt. Yeah. Yeah. And TSA and oh, no, oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. And yep. you got to sh- you got to shoot single stack nationals with my th- third favorite single stack shooter last year, Mike Stoker. Oh, yeah, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Although, however, uh, I, I feel like I kind of broke Mike a little yeah. bit. Because he no longer shooting single stack. <laughs> well, he, he and I, he was on a podcast last night. I was listening to with uh, Trevor Cotter, and he mm-hmm. was with sing, He was going to switch from single stack to limited after single stack nats at the beginning of the year, but since it got pushed back into September, it's just like ah. meh. And you know, it's just so much, and you're like, he wants to be part of the big boy. Well, you know, and Atlas doesn't make 1911s anymore. Well, single stack guns. Right. They're all in the double st- double stack game, which I can understand and show the cool new Ipsic gun. I mean, the Artemis he's yeah. shooting now for limited is pretty cool. And... Yep. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the the juice is with the double stack guns right now, for sure. Mm-hmm. For Until sure. everyone wants a single stack gun again and then yep. 
Yeah. But you know what? Just like I hear all the time from Steve Fisher, what is old is new, and what's new is old. You know, it just—it's yeah. a cycle. Nothing really now in the firearms industry is never really new. It just yeah. revolves back around. Just like uh, I think the biggest thing now is twelve o'clock bounded red dots on your scope. <laughs> Where, because they went to forty fives, now they're back to right. top. You know, tops for guns yeah. and because all of a sudden they realize. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden they realize like, oh, if I mount this red dot on top of my uh, variable power, it's actually basically the same as a 193 mount. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. How crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting. Um, you know, I, I was talking to my friend Alan Normandy uh, from Battle Comp Enterprises mm -hmm. um, the other day about about all these things being cyclic. And he's like, I remember when. You know, we were shooting isosceles and then we were told we had to shoot Weaver and then it was isosceles again. You know, the difference in shooting techniques from lock armed or to, mm -hmm. you know, unlocked elbows and how everything, not just technology, technology wise, but technique wise is cyclic as well. And it's just, uh, you know, it was a great conversation. It's very interesting how how the shooting world goes, you know, and it's just like, you know. The military takes from competition, law enforcement takes from competition, and then we reverse. Competition takes from the military and, and so on and so forth, and then it reverses again, and it's it's always very interesting to me. It is. I have one viewer question, and then we're going to wrap and get towards the end of the show. Oh, are we, we live? <laughs> no, no. Oh. It's just, I got to segue a little bit, but... Uh, gotcha. um. This guy asked um, advice for aspiring gunsmiths slash wannabe 1911 builders who can't go to school. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's hard. That's it really is. hard. Um, you know, I am a, a huge proponent of the apprenticeship route for gunsmiths, uh, especially guys that want to specialize. Uh, if, if, you know, I went, to a gunsmithing program um, because I knew that at the end of it, if I did all the things right, I would be a gunsmith and then I could pursue my, my own endeavors. Uh, I had a very, very good friend, still have a very, very good friend, uh, Bob Miller of Miller Custom, uh, 1911s, uh, who sh taught me a lot. And uh, I had hoped you know, to be his apprentice for a long, long time. Uh, but that didn't happen due to, you know, we were in the same spot. He had to move, um, cause he took another job doing other things. Uh, so I, I had a little bit of apprenticeship with him and I would have loved to have worked under him for a long, long, long time. Your best bet as an aspiring gunsmith, especially 1911, 2011 gunsmith, is to become an apprentice under someone that is already doing it. It's also the hardest way to do it because the apprenticeship's style of learning is dying. Um, there's less demand for, for high, high-level guns these days, um, which... You know, I can't even say that. Um, it It's very different. The world is very different because production guns have gotten so much better. They've also, custom guns, while they have uh, percentage-wise not increased that much, uh, price-wise, you know, they absolutely have increased in price. Uh, to get a great gun nowadays, 
you are absolutely spending five thousand dollars for you know for for a true custom gun when back in the day you would have spent twenty one hundred dollars for a full-on custom race gun um so it's a little different and the small shops are not taking on apprentices uh but if you can find someone that will that's the best route to do it uh and they got to find an actual gunsmith not an armorer (laughs) correct i know that's one of your biggest things is like armorer is not a gunsmith yeah yep well and you know like i along with that i'm always a, a one of my things is not all gunsmiths are the same. Mm-hmm. There are, there are crappy gunsmiths out there. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, listen, mistakes happen, right? We all make mistakes. Uh, I had a shooter this weekend at uh, a match whose Glock uh, had been worked on by a gunsmith. Um, I don't know who the gunsmith was. I don't know anything about it. Uh, but I can tell everything had been titanium nitrided and it, it was very interesting gun build. Um, oh, but, so everything was shiny and gold. Yes. Okay. Yes. Correct. Uh, which is very much, I don't basically do any of that. So it mm-hmm. kind of tells me where it came from. Uh, but every time he would, uh, press the trigger, the gun would fire two rounds, one on the way back, one on the way out. Boom, boom. Basically turned it into a binary trigger, which is a common problem for guys that work on Glocks that don't know what they're doing when they work on Glocks. Um, I said, oh, well, here's your issue. This is how you can fix it. Uh, Take it to a gunsmith. He said, I just got this back from the gunsmith. He built it for me. And I said, okay, call him up and tell him what's going on. He should know exactly how to fix it. If he's a real gunsmith, the reality is there's a lot of guys, especially with Glocks and ARs that are calling themselves gunsmiths and they are barely armors. Um, and there's nothing, let me say this. There is absolutely nothing wrong with being an armor. hundred percent. I support that. You know, there are things you do not need a gunsmith for. You need an armor for, you need to swap parts. You need an armor. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't you don't need a gunsmith and you probably don't want to pay gunsmith prices for for swapping your springs. Right. At eighty five dollars an hour, uh, you know, when an armor will charge you fifteen dollars to swap everything. Um, so uh, but not all gunsmiths are the same. Mm-hmm. So and you, it's kind of like your instructors vet your gunsmith. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Follow Absolutely. that lineage if you can and vet your gunsmith and. I mean, it doesn't hurt to ask people, you know, who did that for you? You know, you know. I mean, if you go to a match, everyone's going to let you dick with their gun at a safe table. So it's yep. like, well, who did this work? You know, I like that, you know. Yeah. You know, you well, worked for, on Jedi's guns, you know. You fixed, yeah. you know, you cut off beaver tails on striker guns and uh, yeah. and do uh, stock Glock trigger mods. And But you are a 2011, well, 1911 and double stack 1911 builder. And mm-hmm. that's your wheelhouse. And, every, like, that's going to be different than a precision rifle wheelhouse you know everyone everyone's a little bit different and but you got every as a consumer they should know that they've got to like anything vet them google's your friend youtube's a better (laughs) friend yeah i mean i think you even made a video about that with uh john when they were at your shop you know yep absolutely absolutely my 
most favorite questions coming up. And I steal this directly from Scott because I love it. <laughs> what are things that people can either stop doing or start doing to get better? Oh, gosh. Okay. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head what I said in Scott's podcast when he asked me, but I've got some definite things that people need to stop doing. Good Number up. one, stop doing this trigger reset crap. It's not helping you at all. Number two, stop believing your own hype. That goes for all of us. Uh, you know, your self-image is important, but don't lie to yourself. Mm -hmm. Do not lie to yourself. Use these metrics, okay? Stop believing that you are the greatest gunfighter or the greatest shooter known to man, unless you really are. Uh, and even then, if you believe that, uh, you're going to fail because someone is always going to find you that is slightly better. And it changes from day to day to day who is better. So don't believe your own hype. Don't let your ego get in the way of your shooting. And don't get your, let your ego get in the way of your learning. Okay? Uh, that's, that's the big thing because it will. Your self-image will get in your own way and you will not learn things that, that you should be learning. Right. And then they'll blame the instructor on, oh, I didn't learn anything from them. Well, that's not your fault that you checked you checked out three hours ago on day one. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's a, a great point. You know, we've had uh, shooters in class that they just won't try the techniques. Right. Because their ego tells them, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm better than that. Well, you're not because I'm doing the technique and I just outshot you. Give it a try because it may not work for you, but it might. And you will be a better shooter for it. Let your ego go. Let your, let your resume go. Mm -hmm. Stop believe, you know, what you did. And that's another thing that people need to stop doing. Stop letting your resume, uh, it be how do I put this? Your resume is not your current capability. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in the army once I am not in the army now. They are not the same thing, right? So what I can do now is not what I could do then. And what I do now is definitely not the same as what I did then. So, what I did and, you know, before, uh, while it has some applicability in certain techniques, you know, being in the army doesn't mean I know how to shoot. And honestly, I, I would say I got out of the army not really knowing how to shoot, uh, certainly not shoot handguns, um, you know, so don't let don't let your resume like that uh, uh, think you have some credibility in certain tasks. Mm -hmm. You know, um, kind of like stay in your lane, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But understand too what, what your lane is. Mm -hmm. uh, That's a better way to put it, you know, know where your lane is. Yeah. 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 Cause there, there are some people you're going to tell to stay in their lane when you are so far out of your lane that uh, you should not be commenting, yep. you know? Mm -hmm. 
especially when we start getting into the topic of experience. Um, let me tell you, your gunfight is a great story, but probably didn't give you all this experience that you think you have. Uh, the dude who has spent hours upon hours upon hours on the range shooting his gun and dry firing his gun has more shooting experience than you do. Mm-hmm. That's that's a hard truth for a lot of guys. All right. So uh, let's not let's just be very clear on what our lanes are before we start shitting on people, essentially. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think those would be the big things. All of those would be the big things. And I couldn't agree with you more, sir. I mean, you put it so eloquently and precisely how we needed to put it. And Thank you. And it's what people need to hear. I mean, honestly, it's beside, you know, honestly, I'd love to get a banner and put it in front of every class. And it says, check ego here. Be like, this is the line. Your ego does not go past this line. You know, and and makes a better learning experience. And it does. For, and if you know, if you just it's like I'm going to learn, you know, it might not be exactly what I'm looking for in a class. You know, I might be a self defender going to a competition class. I'm going to check what I know at the door. I mean, well, not my skills, but you know, check what mm-hmm. pre um, conceived notions you have of this class. I mean, you already signed up, so you kind of already are interested in taking it. It's not like someone had paid for your own class, paid for you to take this class and you had no bias about it. You've already paid for it at that point. So just learn, you know, truly have that open mind that everyone asks you to bring to a class. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I like I tell everybody I talk to, I will listen to whatever you have to say. I will try it in dry fire or live fire and give it actually a shake, you know. Not just, oh, I did it for five minutes and it doesn't work for me. No, you know, I'll give it a try. And if it doesn't work, I'll give it back. I'll say it, it didn't yep. work, but this is X, Y, and Z, Y. And that's why. Yep. And and make sure to, and you make you bring up a really good point. Give it a real try. Uh, don't sit there, outside of mechanical advantages, right? Mm-hmm. Don't sit there, do something one time and go, I don't like it. You didn't really try it. You, you did it once, probably incorrectly because you were trying to feel it out and then you threw it away give it a fair shake really try give it a chance just like you said Mm -hmm. uh you know uh that's a great point it is and aj um do you have any sponsors besides your own company or and that's the best way to do it i honestly think (laughs) you know i i uh (laughs) i didn't choose to do it that way i will tell you that um and maybe this is this is good for for some guys to hear. Um, you know, I approached companies about sponsorships. Uh, this is what I can offer you. This is what I'd like to do. Uh, what can I do to help you guys? And they said, "That's cool. We're not interested." Okay, cool. Some of them, yeah, we're very interested. And then they won't return my calls two months later. Um, so at this point in my in my sponsorships, I have no sponsors, and I really like it. Mm-hmm. I really like it. Uh, it has given me freedom to do literally whatever I want. Yes, it is more financially taxing. Uh, I pay for every round I fire. I pay for every holster I have. 
obviously I pay for every gun, every piece on my gun. Uh, you know, I pay for every piece of kit I use full price, pretty much, uh, you know, um, and it's fine. I'm okay with it because I can afford to do it. Now there's, yeah, I would love sponsorships on certain things. Um, you know, uh, but you don't need the sponsorship. You don't need the jersey with 400 sponsors on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of happy that we don't have sponsors. That's the, and so. see, that's the way you, know, you can dictate how you choose and who you deal business with. This not having some third party tell you you can't associate with this person or X Y Z. It's just nice to be free. It is like like America should be. Yeah. Yep. And that's the thing, man. I can do whatever I want. I can use whatever holster I want. I can shoot whatever gun I want. I can wear whatever I want. I am, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm happy about it. I am happy about it. Now, where can they find you, AJ, besides on the longest Instagram handle ever? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So you can definitely find me on the longest Instagram handle ever, which is practical underscore performance underscore org. Uh, you can also, you can also find me on, uh, Facebook under practical performance training. Um, you can find me on, on the actual internet, uh, practicalperformance.org is our website, which we are, uh, working on a new website to kind of bring us back into like the 21st century, uh, because <laughs> it's a little outdated, I admit. Uh, but you can find us there. You can check us out on the YouTubes. There's going to be a lot more YouTube content coming. Um, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, I think that's everywhere. Also, check out the Practicast. You'll be listening to some back episodes for now. But... They're so good, though, guys. They're, and they're <laughs> nice tidbit bites of like 30 minutes. Yes. You can listen to them on lunch or on a break. They're wonderful. <laughs> yep except for our interviews which go longer because i love talking to people mm-hmm. almost everything is about 30 to 45 minutes purposely mm-hmm. we try and keep it so you guys can just listen and and get that that information in a short amount of time yeah because i think you interviewed jedi and matt little if i'm correct yep yep i think the only two interviews on there are jedi and matt little um and now there'll be a Tim Heron, which I think that one's an hour and a half long. Um, but I prefer to put the interviews all out at once because I hate when people uh, split an interview into like three segments. But I got to wait a week in between each segment. Right. Uh, and you leave it a cliffhanger and it's terrible. It's like, yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah. There we have it. I'm going to thank you, AJ, again for coming on. I greatly appreciate your time and. This has been an awesome pat. One of my favorites. We've almost beaten the longest record of my podcast, but it's okay. Only by a couple <laughs> minutes, but that's, hey, I appreciate it. This was a fun talk, my man. Thank you for coming on. I greatly appreciate it. And to my listeners and viewers, thank you for checking us out. I greatly appreciate you watching. I'm not going to ask you to like, share, subscribe, but if you want to, go right ahead. New podcasts coming out whenever they come out, and I greatly appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next time. Catch ya.